Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned that this podcast contains body language of the modern and early modern varieties, so plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice that you can make. But don't say we didn't warn you. Yeah, I mean, I'm noticing a trend in all of these English history plays mm. that, like, France always mm-hmm. loses. France loses. Yeah. So. And they're always portrayed, like, really unflatteringly. I can't figure yeah. out why. <laughs> why might that be? So weird. Mm, it's real weird. much? Welcome to the Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show. We are your hosts, Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. And together we are Whamlet. And this week we're talking about the reign of King Edward III. Edward III? Who the hell is that guy? He had seven sons. He did, yeah. He did have seven sons. Every week we discuss a different play by our favorite guy, William Lemonade Shakespeare, at what we like to call the 101 level. That is introductory stuff, so everything that you need to know to have a general understanding of the play and its major themes, and some other cool stuff you will get nowhere else, like our opinions, man. Yep. And before we jump into the seven sons of Edward III, or Edward III himself, we are down to three rhetorical devices left. It's a rhetorical device of the week time. So because we're word nerds, each week we draw a, re- a random rhetorical device from our handy dandy rhetorical device flashcards. For actors and scholars, knowing rhetorical devices helps us recognize patterns in Shakespeare's language so that we can gain a better understanding of what's being said and how it's being said. Basically, it helps us understand characters through their speech tactics. Draw a card, Strawberry. Well, how about you just pick a color? Because there are only three left. Um, I want the red one because I can see what it is. Oh. Red. Selepsis or some shit? Yes. It is selepsis, which sounds like a disease, but it's not. Do you remember what it is? I don't think we learned it. It's not on our list. Oh, okay. Well, it's when a single word that governs or modifies two others must be understood differently with respect to each. It's a type of zugma. I was just going to say, it sounds like Zugma. Yeah, it's a form of omission. Um, So the example here is Benedict from Much Ado About Nothing. Let's have a dance ere we are married, that we may lighten our own hearts and our wives' heels. And so the lighten is being omitted the second time, and lighten in each part of the sentence means something slightly different, like lighten your heart, lighten your heels. One's like metaphorical, one's literal. I think they're both metaphorical. Lighten your heart, I guess. Because it just means, like, dance. Yeah, but then it says it. the single word that governs or modifies two others must be understood differently with respect to each. Yeah, I don't oh my think gosh, Rafe. that's a good example. Because I would argue that lighten applies the same way to both. I mean, I can see how someone would argue that there are different applications of lighten to both of those things but i am going to argue that that is not true and this is a bad example i don't have a better one but that's my argument (laughs) okay i don't mind it so much it's just this one kind of confuses me cool all right so solepsis s-y-l-l-e-p-s-i-s solepsis that's what it was and uh it shall never be again okay It's now time for your Burbage Break with Master Master Hamlet. So this week I want to talk about the Wiggins catalog. The full title is British Drama 1533 to 1642, A Catalog. It is one of the most insane resources I think I've ever heard of, seen, used in the realm of early modern drama. It's it's a monster of a thing. It's um, I think when all is said and done, it's going to be a 12 volume set of texts. And also, I do believe that they're when it's all done, they're going to put it online so it'll be fully searchable. Um, But what it is. Is a list, a catalog, if you will, of every single 
play that survives from the period that we know of. Um, so like, I guess not even stuff that even doesn't survive, but that we know was performed. Um, also masks, also like court entertainments, any, anything that sort of falls under the dramatic entertainment header gets into this and it's fucking wild. So I own one volume because each volume is like $150. Um, and I picked mine up for $54 and I'm just so pleased with myself. So the, the volume that I own is 1609 to 1616, which is like a plum volume to own. And just in, in order by year lists fucking everything. Um, so we might, we might explore. What do you want to explore? What's, what's a play you're interested in? That I could look up from 1609 to 1616. 1609 to 1616. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, how about the Tempest? The Tempest. The Tempest. Is it arranged by year or is yeah, it? Yeah, it's by year, but then within the year, I can't tell if there's a rhyme or reason to how they're organized i mean there must be oh. there must be but it's not alphabetical <laughs> ah. so i have to look or is it 1611 it's not 1611 and it does okay. not also appear to be 1612 which is what i thought it was maybe the tempest was before 1609 it could not Do I just have been totally have my chronology wrong no because no. it's the last romance right and Shakespeare didn't stop until about 1612, 1613, right? And yeah. Then, and then he went away. <laughs> then he went away to die. <laughs> Just crawled back into the countryside. Yeah. So, oh, there it is. 1611. You're right. Okay. 1652. Uh, okay. I got to say, when I saw the Wiggins on the outline, I had no idea what it was. I know. I know. But, like, it made me think of... Buffy the Vampire Slayer and okay. how the, yeah, one of those characters, maybe it was Xander or somebody, said something like, that gives me the Wiggins or, you know, like the heebie-jeebies. And that's what I thought of. Cool story. When I saw that. <laughs> okay. So now that we have located the Tempest, uh -huh. let me just walk you through all of the information that this has. Okay. okay. So we have the heading, the Tempest, and then text. Printed in 1623 with the STC number from a transcript of a prompt book by Ralph Crane. Genre. Comedy. Mm. Title. The Tempest. Author. William Shakespeare. Date. Limits 1610 to 1611. Best guess 1611. Original production. Kingsmen. Presumably at the Blackfriars. Then there's like a three paragraph plot summary. Then it tells you how many scenes are in each act. Then it lists all of the roles and which scenes they appear in if they're like bit roles. Mm -hmm. Then it says how many speaking parts there are, 18 or 19. Then it gives all of the stage directions and speech prefixes. Um, not all wow. of the stage directions. That's this. This is a little misleading. It gives all of the speech directions. Sorry, all of the speech prefixes. And then all of the stage directions that those character names appear in. So like the first one is shipmaster. Um, and in the stage directions, he's referred to as a shipmaster, the master, master, and master of a ship. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And there's bosun, who's called a bosun and bosun. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then there's Alonzo, who's called Alonzo, 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 King of Naples. <laughs> And then we have Sebastian or Sebas or Sebastian brother <laughs> and so on, you know, okay. You, you get the idea. Okay. And then there Sebastian, are, Sebas. Yeah. So I, then it lists, it's almost like nicknames. <laughs> yeah. It lists other characters who aren't in the play, but are talked about. So like the women who attended Miranda when she was a baby and Clarabelle, mm -hmm. you know, the, the sister, daughter, whoever, and the King of Tunis, who she marries. So then it has the setting, 
and the time scheme. So it says the action takes place during a single day. Mm -hmm. It lists the place. It lists all the geography that you might need to know. Wow. Um, Yeah. So Italy, Milan, Naples, England, Europe, the Mediterranean Sea, Africa, Algiers, Tunis, Carthage, Arabia, India, and the Bermudas. Then it's got a whole section on source texts for this play, including stuff from the Bible. Then it lists the language the play is written in, which is uh, English, obviously, but then two words of Italian and where they occur and who says them. Hmm. Then it talks about the form. So it's meter, pentameter and prose, some passages of tetrameter, then the rhyme, blank verse, then act division, five acts. Then there's an epilogue, then the number of lines that are spoken. So we've got 2051, of which 1,553 are verse and 498 are prose. And then the lines is written, which is 2341, and that includes um, stage directions, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So then, like, if I haven't already convinced you that this is the most exhaustive resource ever in the world... I don't know what else to do except keep going. So I'm going to keep going. (laughs) So after all of this, we have music and sound. Sorry, no. Then we have staging. So it says discovery stage or discovery space, stuff that happens within, stuff that happens above. Wow. Miscellaneous, like weird things about like the vanishing banquet. Mm -hmm. Then we have music and sound. So we have sound effects of thunder and confused noise and the noise of hunters. And then we've got music, solemn and strange music. And then there's onstage music that Ariel plays. And then it lists all of the songs, other singing. Stefano sings two lines. Also, there's a dance. Then it lists all of the props. Okay. So we have pyrotechnics, weapons, musical instruments, Clothing, animals, food and drink, small portable objects, a chess set, large portable objects, seating for one or more characters. Um, Other scenery, tree, a line, clothesline, that kind of thing. Then we have a section on costumes and makeup. So like Gonzalo has to have a beard. The mariners need to be wet. Caliban is freckled and deformed. My God. Right? It's... Yeah. There's more. There's just so much more. Early stage history, 1611, presumably performed by the King's Men at the Blackfriars. Music for the production was contributed by Robert Johnson. Some other stuff. Early textual history, when it was entered in the Stationer's Register, when it was included in the folio. Other things. From 1623 up until... 1699 it lists some textual stuff um then we've got additions notable editions of the work beginning in 1954 and then some references to other sources wow so yeah uh, you said these books are really They're expensive really to own expensive do yeah. you think like most public libraries might have these in the reference section i don't know about public libraries but academic libraries thousand percent yeah. Okay. Um, is this something that you could go to your public library, you think, and like request that they get? I mean, you could request it. I don't know that your public library would be able to do it because it's a thousand dollars. And also, so the catalog's not done. I think the tenth volume just got published. Oh um, wow! And I think there, I think there's still two more to come. So our friend Carrie Cook, um who got her PhD at the Shakespeare Institute in England. Um, Martin Wiggins was her advisor. So she is uh, a dear friend of his, I suppose, or he is a dear friend of hers. Um, And when I was home over spring break, we were talking about the catalog and I was like, ah, it's so great. Isn't it great? And also, aren't you impressed that I own one single volume? (laughs) Um, And she was saying that, there there are definite plans to put it online. Um, it will be an expensive resource that university libraries will have to subscribe to. I don't I can't imagine that it will be free. Um, but Catherine Richardson is attached to the project. Her name um, appears on all the volumes uh, in smaller letters. But I guess she's on board to do all the digital stuff anyway. Oh, cool. So that's yeah. coming. Someday soon. Yeah. Yeah. um, Probably not soon. Probably like 10 years. Okay. Well, yeah. All right. 
If we're not all underwater from rising yeah. sea levels by then, I yeah. guess it'll be very useful. Um, and until then, just get yourself to an academic library yeah, at your get, local college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go and, track it down. It's because it's it's absolutely everything that you could need to know sort of immediately. Like, yeah, you know, if you've got questions about the dating on a play, go to the Wiggins. If you've got questions about the genre of a play go to the Wiggins. If you want to know how long it is or how many characters it is or when it or was first what performed. Kind of or what or, kind of props you need. Or what kind of props you need. I mean, damn, you know, that's yeah. like, that's super helpful for dramaturgs for starting yep. their research. That's really helpful for stage managers in yep. figuring out an initial prop list. Yeah. Like, it saves you a ton of work. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It's fucking wild. Um. We've talked about the dictionary of stage directions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, I, we 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 must have. I'm sure. Um, which is another thing that I. It was like a massive undertaking, just a massive, massive undertaking of a project, and now this resource exists, and I can't believe it exists because it's so thorough and so fucking useful. And it's the same thing with the Wiggins. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. Uh, and I use it frequently mm-hmm. um frequently yeah <laughs> it's it's so handy and i lucked out that the volume i got was 1609 to 1616 because that's such a like prime time yeah to to own for a, a shakespearean like myself so anyway i've been re-watching friends lately and that reminds me of that episode where joey gets like one letter of the Encyclopedia oh, Britannica. Yeah. V. <laughs> that's all he can afford. He just yeah. gets the V volume. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's what you got. Yep. That's, that's cute. That's real. So that's <laughs> the Wiggins. Check it out. Learn about it. Live it. Love it. That's amazing. That was your Burbage Break with Master Master Hamlet. It's a history play, so we need to reorient you on the family timeline. All right, so I'll keep it short and sweet just to orient yourself. Edward III is nestled on our timeline between King John and Richard II, right? It, that's where it is. If you're, if you're treating the whole thing like a series, uh, then that's where it is. So Edward III was the father of Edward the Black Prince and John of Gaunt and five other sons and some daughters. He had so many children, it's ridiculous. Which play is it that has the line of uh, Edward III had seven sons? Was yeah, that in Hen- that's, Henry? that's the one that I keep quoting. Uh, I think it's two Henry VI. Okay, it w- it is in one of the later yeah, Henrys, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it's a Henry VI play. It might be three Henry VI, but I'm pretty sure it's two Henry VI. Okay. Yeah, because they go back to the whole, they because yeah. in that they're tracing the John of Gaunt line, and that's the red and the white roses. So, okay. So anyway, uh, Edward III had seven sons, one of whom, his eldest, was Edward the Black Prince, a.k.a. Richard II's dad, and uh, John of Gaunt, a, a later son who ended up, as, as you know, if you've listened to us or if you know anything about English history, John of Gaunt fathered uh, actually two different lines of English kings from two different wives. And uh, let's see. So that makes him Richard II's grandfather. Uh, Edward the Black Prince and Edward III died within about a year of each other, leaving a very young Richard II as king, uh, as as very very young uh, young boy, um, good old Eddie III is the medieval king who decided to take back France and claim it as part of his realm, and in doing so, kicked off the notorious One Hundred Years' War, not to be confused with the War of the Roses, mm-hmm. which was an English civil war. The Hundred Years' War was the century-ish long uh, conflict between England and France uh, about who had sovereignty over both nations. Mm-hmm. So he's the guy that started all of that. Thanks, Eddie. Yeah, in this play, he starts In this that. play, yep. It kicks us right off, this play, uh, with the, was just kicking off the, the 100 Years' War. You're welcome. And then he goes off to Scotland and then to France. He, he jumps all over the place in this play. So that is where we are on the timeline. Still, you know, Plantagenet line, I guess. Or even pre-Plantagenet. No. Yes, these are Plantagenets. It's a very long line of people. So that's where we're at. Uh, all right, moving on to our five-word unhelpful title. This week, mine is Philandering King Dictates Bad Poetry. 
<laughs> that tickles me. <laughs> All right. Mine is uh, six words. And for that, I apologize. But it eh. is four kings, two Edwards, France loses. I'll Spoilers. allow it. <laughs> Spoilers. So moving into the dramatis personae, but only the really important ones. And we've looks like this week we've divided it into nations. Yeah, I figured that might be. No, a that's little... helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that's so. great. So we'll start with the English. First, we have Robert of Artois, an exiled Frenchman now loyal to England. Uh, there's also this guy that you may have heard of, Edward III. He's the king of England. Then there's Prince Edward, his son, called Ned in the play. He's the Black Prince. There's also the Earl of Salisbury and his wife, the Countess of Salisbury. Mm -hmm. Then there's the Earl of Warwick, her dad, yet another Warwick. Uh We have Philippa, the Queen of England. And Sir John Copeland, a knight. Also other people, but they didn't make it into the summary. Then... We have Le Français, the French, beginning with the Duke of Lorraine. Then there's John de Valois, King of France. Or Valois. Yeah, but we're English, so we say Valois. Okie dokie. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Charles, the Duke of Normandy, eldest son of King John. Not to be confused with the English King John. This is a French King John. Yeah, it's John de Valois, that, the King of France. Or, right, I know. I just have to keep reminding myself that because it's confusing. Sure, sure. I mean, this is why we say dolphin and not dauphin because we're English and we hate I, the French. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Also, there's a French mariner. He sails ships. Mm-hmm, yes. Then there's Prince Philip, the younger son of King John. Elsewhere. Elsewhere in the world, we have King David of Scotland, who's an ally of France, but also a total wimp. And then there's the King of Bohemia, who is also an ally of France. Mm-hmm. I wonder, just like in alternate universe land, <laughs> if this could be Polixenes. Right? Like, just to merge all of these worlds. Yeah. That would make my little Marvel-loving heart really happy. <laughs> ah, okay. So it's four kings. So if those are our people. At home, four and kings. all the kings. So many kings. Yep. 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 Jess, why is this place so goddamn popular? It's not. You've literally never heard of it. (laughs) That's definitely not. I had not remembered of it. Remembered of it. I had not remembered it until you made me read it. (laughs) That's the thing. That is that is a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I have I have no answers. It is not popular. And I I mean, I think it, it should be more popular than it is. Uh, it certainly is better than all of the Henry plays, except for maybe one Henry six. Um, Hard disagree, but well, you will wrong. agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I think it's really fun and delightful. As far as history plays go, I think this is one of the better ones. It's really action packed. There's not a lot of like standing around talking about maps and directing troops and geopolitical concerns. They're are also like no women in this play we've got the queen and the countess and that's it and they each get like one or two scenes each typical yeah um but i don't know i'm into this play there's some good Mm -hmm. poetry like some good poetry even the poetry Mm -hmm. that you think is bad i think is really good Mm -hmm. um we're gonna talk about it anyway Mm -hmm. so it's not popular but it should be and go read it and if you're choosing a season out there in theater land, maybe you want to do this play. I don't know. Maybe you do. Yeah. Who doesn't maybe. want to stage Edward the Black Prince? Come on. I know, right? Defo sexy. Summary time. All right. We will now summarize the reign of King Edward III for you in a segment that this week we're calling Four Kings is Too Many Kings for a Single History Play. Word. That's so true. But it's fine for a summary. Yeah. Um, Also, I should say uh, this is another play that's generally divided just into scenes and not acts. So like we did with Ardna Faversham, we're just going to split it up into the first half and the second half. Yes. Great. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Here we go. 
In the first half, Robert of Artois, a banished Frenchman, is created Earl of Richmond by King Edward. In return, Artois explains that the he explains the genealogy that gives Edward a claim to the French throne. The Duke of Lorraine arrives from France, inviting Edward to come swear fealty to the French King John in exchange for allowing Edward to retain his claim to the Duchy of Guyenne. Edward refuses and instead declares war. Another messenger brings news that the Scots have invaded and trapped Warwick's daughter, the Countess of Salisbury, in her castle. Edward decides to, decides to send his son, Ned, to France, while he will stay home and deal with the Scots. The Scottish King David makes plans with the Duke of Lorraine to keep the English army busy so that they can't attack France. A messenger brings news of the English army's approach, and the Scots flee because they're cowards. King Edward arrives and is immediately smitten with the Countess of Salisbury. She convinces him to stay the night at her castle. The besotted king decides that he needs to woo the Countess. She defends herself from his intentions and exits. Her father, Warwick, sees that the king is upset, and he's like, hey, bro, how can I help you be happy? And the king's all like, hey, can you hook me up with your daughter? Uh, And Warwick is like, yo, that's not great. So Warwick goes to the countess and is like, do you want to sleep with the king, maybe? And she's like, hell nah. Uh, And then Warwick is like, great, good. This pleases me. Um, Edward is so enamored with the countess that he has lost all interest in military matters. When Prince Ned arrives with his troops prepared to go to France, Edward is brought back to his senses temporarily. But then when the Countess arrives and is like, hey, I'll totally sleep with you, he completely forgets himself again. She gets him to agree to murder his queen and her husband before she'll have sex with him. And then when she realizes that even that promise of murder won't end his courtship, she decides to kill herself then and there. This brings the king back to his senses permanently, and he puts her out of his mind and prepares to go conquer France. And that's the last we see of the Countess of Salisbury, who lives. She does not actually kill herself. King John of France meets with his allies from Poland and Bohemia. A French mariner brings news that King Edward's fleet has arrived off the coast, and John sends his troops to their stations in expectation of land battles while he waits for the news of the naval battle. Ha, naval battle. The mariner brings news of Edward's triumph, and John and his sons prepare their army for battle. King Edward, Prince Ned, and King John meet. The kings insult each other. John refuses to give up the crown, and Edward refuses to give up his claim. John leaves to prepare to fight. Edward knights his son and outfits him with armor and shields, and then they ride out for battle. Prince Ned defeats a large part of the French army and then is overtaken by more French troops. King Edward refuses to send aid in battle to the prince. The king maintains that the prince is making a name for himself, and it would be foolish to intercede in that. The prince arrives in triumph with the body of the king of Bohemia, who he killed. Edward congratulates Ned and sends him off to pursue King John towards Portiers, while the King Edward, the King Edward, (laughs) will go to Calais and lay siege. The second half. A messenger brings news that the Queen of England is near to shore and will land at Calais presently. The Burgesses of Calais surrender to Edward. King John... King Jean is ready for battle and thinks he's got Prince Ned cornered and outnumbered. Normandy isn't as confident because of a prophecy he heard on the battlefield. Ooh, those prophecies. But John thinks it was in their favor and that they will easily capture the prince and then King Edward. The French army is fearful of bad omens. Prince Philip and King John argue over the meaning of the prophecy and whether or not a huge flock of ravens is a good omen. Prince Ned steps away from battle to catch his breath, and Artois notes how the French are distracted by the crows. Weird and stupid. Ned is encouraged by the fact that the landscape itself is on their side. The French army is fleeing, and John is scared. Normandy reports that the fearful French are killing each other in their panic. Prince Philip is ashamed that their larger army is being beaten by the smaller English. John rallies the troops for one last charge. King John, Normandy, and Prince Philip have been captured by Prince Edward. They depart for Calais and King Edward. King Edward orders an assault on Calais when some rich men of the town offer their lives for the city. He accepts their surrender and then orders their deaths. 
because he's a nice guy. Queen Philip Queen Philippa protests, saying he can't be the king of France unless there are Frenchmen left to rule. So he relents and doesn't kill those guys. Copeland, who captured the king of Scots, enters with the pris- with his prisoners and delivers them to Edward. Salisbury arrives and brings news of Prince Edward's death. Everyone is sad. He's immediately followed by a herald announcing Prince Edward's arrival with his prisoners. Yay! Prince Edward's not dead. King Edward is delighted, rewards his son, and announces a temporary end to war so that everyone can return to England and celebrate with the royal French prisoners in tow. King John rues his misinterpretation of the prophecy. Oh, if only my prophecy had been better. Oh, bleu. That's a direct quote. The end. <laughs> it's amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> I'm so good at my French. <laughs> South of six minutes. We went a little long, but I think it's okay. Yeah, all right. Let's talk about some cool shit about this text. Let's do I'm it. excited. Yeah. Okay. I have my text with me because you said in that ominous text earlier this week, you were like, I want to get into the weeds with this with you. I do. I want to get into Which also is like a sexy, nerdy pickup line. Girl, you know, <laughs> I want to get into your weeds. Mm. Okay. So Edward III was published in 1596 for the first time. Okay. Uh, so it's early, right? Yeah. It's yeah. early. I think that explains it, all the rhyming couplets, uh-huh. frankly. Yeah. In yeah. the New Oxford, it's like the third or fourth play. Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. It's real up close in the real, beginning real, of the book. Real early. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's published in 1596. It's not included with Shakespeare's body of work until 1760 when Edward Capel decided to include it. And he wrote that it was indeed written by Shakespeare. It cannot be said with candor that that there is any external evidence at all. Something of proof arises from resemblance between the style of his earlier performances and of the work in question, and a more conclusive one yet from consideration of the time it appeared in, in which there was no known writer equal to such a play. So basically what he's saying is like, well, I mean, we don't really know that it's Shakespeare, but like who else could have written it? Because it's good. Hmm. Which is a little (laughs) dickish, but like Capel maybe was kind of a dick. Yeah. So, um, so 1760 is the first time that it gets included as part of the canon. Um, in 1876, F.G. Flay, or maybe Flea, called the play a collaborative work and suggested that Shakespeare had written only the scenes with King Edward and the Countess, which I totally mm. believe because he a thousand percent wrote those scenes and I'm going to prove it in a minute. Okay. Um, that Shakespeare wrote, That's exciting. <laughs> that Shakespeare wrote at least some of this play is now uncontested. Um, the Arden Shakespeare series includes a volume of Edward III. The play is also in the New Oxford, as we've mm-hmm. just talked about. Um, no one has ever successfully identified the collaborator or collaborators with Shakespeare. Uh, authorship is still the central focus of scholarship on this play. But Marlowe, Kidd, Peel, and Nash are the likeliest candidates for authorship. Um, but again, nothing's ever been proven. Right. Um, right. Well, and some of Shakespeare's contemporaries that we've covered on this show might have been too young, too, right? Like Middleton oh, would have been too yeah. young to collaborate, yeah. right? So yeah, some yeah. of those people are out of the running yeah. for age reasons. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely probably it's either no one we've ever heard of. Or it's one of these four guys. It's that prolific anonymous again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the yep. problem with these four guys is that they all died between like 1590 and 1594. Right. Yeah. Cause Marlowe died in 1592 or 93, Two. right? 92. Yeah. 92, I think. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Ooh. Que uh-huh. misterioso. Yes. So um, also the, the Arden edition as you might expect, takes up the authorship problem at length um, and suggests that perhaps the play in whole was written by someone or someones and then was revised by Shakespeare, Hmm. Um, which, again, I have no problem with. But he definitely wrote scene two, and I'm going to prove it. Okay, let's do it. So I'm actually turned to scene two already. Good. So in in my edition, the lines in question start at about 270. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm just going to read a lot, okay? So just get on board. 
and I'm going to read and then I'm going to talk and then I'm going to read and talk and read and talk and read and talk. Um, okay. Totes on board. Great. All right. um, so this is after he has met uh, the Countess and he is talking to his pal Lodewick and he's like, yo, why don't you help me write some poetry so that she will fall in love? So he's dictating some poetry and he yep. says her voice to music or to the nightingale to music every summer leaping swain compares his sunburnt lover when she speaks and why should i speak of the nightingale the nightingale sings of adulterate wrong and that compared is too satirical for sin though sin would not be so esteemed but rather virtue sin sin virtue deemed her hair far softer than the silkworm's twist like to flattering glass doth make more fair the yellow amber like to a flattering glass comes in too soon, for writing of her eyes, I'll say that like a glass they catch the sun, and thence the hot reflection doth rebound against my breast and burns my heart within. Does that sound familiar at all? A little bit. Anything strike you in there? Um, that nightingale stuff, though. The nightingale stuff, though. Which yeah. we see in two gents, but also uh -huh. in R and J. Mm hmm. It is the lark yeah. and not the nightingale. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm hmm. Okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that, okay. Yeah. I might I, be on board for that. Baby Maybe. steps, baby steps. All right. So okay. I'm, I'm skipping down a little bit to okay. uh, like 296. Okay. Her praise is as my love, both infinite, which apprehend such violent extremes that they disdain an ending period. Her beauty hath no match but my affection. Hers more than most, mine most, and more than more. Hers more to praise than tell the sea by drops. Nay, more than drop the massy earth by sands, and sand by sand print them in memory. Okay. Got some really cool rhetoric happening in there. Okay, some nice okay. repetition. My some isocolon. is as boundless as the sea. My love is deep. The more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. That's a stretch. Fuck you. That's I not don't a stretch. Know. That's not a stretch at all. I don't know. I mean, it's got the, this passage has the words, you know, more and more and sea and drops. And like, it's got the ocean image. It's got the, it's got similar imagery, but like, what are you suggesting exactly? That like he lifted some of this to put into RNJ or vice versa? Like that he was like recycling some verse? Yes. <laughs> Essentially, yes. My argument is that he used this as a study for R&J. Okay. He, he worked on this. He came up with some stuff that was, you know, a little silly, but then he worked it and made it beautiful and turned it into R&J. I mean, I, I, I'm going mean, to yeah, keep could. going. There's more. Okay. There's more. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. I'm not convinced. I'm being I'm being real skeptical today. You can fuck right off forever. <laughs> I am allowed to challenge your ideas. You Don't you get stroppy no. with me. All right. Okay. I'm skipping <laughs> down again to like uh, 308. Okay. Uh, 3, 310-ish. Okay. Yeah. Uh, comparest thou her to the pale queen of night, who being set in dark seems therefore light. What is she when the, when the sun lifts up his head, but like a fading taper, dim and dead? My love shall brave the eye of heaven at noon, and being unmasked, outshine the golden sun. Okay. I hate you. Okay, again, there's like sun and moon imagery. I mean, yeah, I'm seeing themes. You know, I'm seeing similar themes here. Okay, one more. Skipping down again. Okay. Um, Like 320. Out with the moon oh, okay. line, I will have none of it, and let me have her likened to the sun. Say she hath thrice more splendor than the sun, that her perfections emulates the sun, that she breeds sweet, that she breeds sweets as plenteous as the sun, that she doth thaw cold winter like the sun, that she doth cheer fresh summer like the sun, that she doth dazzle gazers like the sun, and in this application to the sun, bid her be free and general as the sun, who smiles upon the basest weed that grows as lovingly as on the fragrant rose. Oh my goodness. The sun, the sun, the sun, the yeah. sun, the sun, yeah, yeah. and the sun, and the sun, the sun, the Do sun. Do you think he wants her to be like the sun? I think so. I, f I feel like that's what he's getting at. Yeah. Now, see, it's funny that you're seeing like an R&J vibe in here because I was getting in this particular section B 
because it's so kind of blundering with the poetry, I was getting uh-huh. much more of a Love's Labors vibe. Okay. From this. All right. Yeah. I was feeling like he's, he's, cause he's fussing with Lodowick and with the verse and sure. like figuring out what, you know, the exact words to describe his lady love, sure. you know, and this infatuation he's feeling. And that rings very, you know, Barone and King of Navarre and Longaville and what's his face, Dumaine to me, you know? I, you know, the first time I read it, I was like, holy shit, R and J. I'm convinced it's good enough for me. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for the world. Oh, well, that's so. Wow. Okay. Look, I said, Someone is feeling herself today. I said <laughs> that I was going to prove that he wrote that scene. And I did. So I, there. I, I don't know that you did. I don't know that you did. I, I will concede that there are but can you many, hear, many themes. Can you hear yeah. the similarities? Yeah. Like some of it, some of it sounds like R&J. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, I mean, this also kind of has has a little bit of a little bit of Suffolk and Margaret flavor too. Like I'm I'm seeing a lot of influences of like a young playwright dealing, you know, like re- recycling a bunch of different tropes. Yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah. I, I I I would buy that. I totally buy that. Um also, I just love this scene. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> That's why I picked a quote from it for our like going out of here quote. We will, but we will leave it to the listeners to decide if you have definitively proven what you think I have. you have. My name is Jess right. Hamlet, and I have cured Shakespeare. You're welcome. Mm, cured it. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Why don't you uh, take it yeah. away? Sure. Well, you know, some of this is my same old song anytime we encounter history play. One, location, location, location. Oh my God, location. Oh my fucking God, location. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, I mean, it just ping-pongs all over Northern Europe. So be careful with that. There, There is the delightful little bit of Scottishness. Um, not, the, not in location necessarily, but um, making fun of the Scots, uh, the way Shakespeare makes fun of the Welsh and the French and just everybody else. Um, there's even some like fun dialect, a little bit of Scottish dialect written in, um, the way he does every once in a while, like for Welshmen and some Frenchmen. Um, so that's fun. Like with Henry five, uh, you get pretty much a genealogy lesson in the first five minutes of this play. So spend some time making that clear for everyone. Um, cause it's a little exhaustive and it's, it's definitely one of those things that I think Shakespeare got better at over time, but this is an early play. So it's like, let me tell you where we are in the historical timeline right now in this one big monologue or two, ta-da, moving on. Um, so like, just be careful about that. Cause it's a, that's a lot of information coming at you in the first five minutes. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, also again, you know, since we are going with this is some of the significant portion of this is Shakespeare. Um, a lot of this is super versy and rhymey. Um, there's a lot of rhyming couplets in here. Like you see in um, even in like midsummer and just remember that rhyme is n- almost never, almost never unintentional either, you know, the playwright has put it in there for his reasons that we can't know because he's dead. Um, but now it's there for the characters and your characters are rhyming. And not only that, but they're rhyming again and again and again in a pretty much A-A-B-B or A-B-A-B format in a lot of big speeches. So play around with that. Um, let your actors use it to show the character's cleverness. or um, At the very least, don't ignore it. And don't try to make the rhyme go away. The rhyme is there, so use it. And then finally, I just want to issue the challenge to, yes. to people who I just want to issue this challenge yes. to people to start including this play in a the full history canon and and to do this. I would love to see this play in rep with King John and Richard II. Mm-hmm. Like all three would be mm-hmm. so awesome. Or with just one, like King John and then Edward III. Or Edward III and then Richard II. And do it in rep and have it worked into the the full 
um, Shakespeare history series. Yeah. I a la Game of Thrones style. Like you could just have a full on series. You know what I'm saying? Like sure. you've got these recurring characters or you've got ancestors of recurring characters. Like the you can track the Warwick family from play to play all the way through Richard yeah. three. Yeah. Like and the Salisbury's. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, how cool would it finally be to have, you know, you've got Richard II and they talk about John of fucking Gaunt all the time, um, and everybody's talking about John of Gaunt, and then you can actually see a play with <laughs> with that family when he should be alive. Like, th- that excites me. I, I, I love that, and maybe I watch too much TV or something, but, like, I really like the idea of the continuity of characters and being able to track a family or three or four families all the way through a performance, all the way th- uh, through a series. Um, and, and then to get, and then, like, what an opportunity for the actors, right? To get to, like, you know, maybe somebody gets to play Edward the Black Prince and then they also get to play Richard too. And then you can play around with like that actor looks like their predecessor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's so much potential in there and I think it could be so much fun for callbacks and foreshadowing. And and maybe I'm just a big old history nerd, but that really trips my trigger. I love shit like that. So there's a huge opportunity and I think a missed opportunity when people don't include this play. Yeah. In, in history series. I, I oh God. Yeah. It'd be just awesome. It'd be really awesome. I mean, I don't think the ASC has ever done it. I'm not sure they have. I mean, we claim canon completion, yeah. but I'm not sure this one is included in yeah. the canon. Well, cause, yes, because it's it's only like in the last 10 years that it's really become accepted yeah. as part of the canon. Right. Because it's in the it's in the new yeah. Oxford. This um, the Arden edition came out in uh, 2017. Like it's yeah. it's new, um, but you yeah. you Aubrey and you <laughs> listeners may notice that we have not yet claimed canon completion. No, we're getting we there. Not. But I we are. I I put this in. I was like, we can't we yeah. can't until we've done. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. So. I guess in I, I should I should go back into our archives and see if mm-hmm. we've ever done it. I think you're right. I think this might be one that I mean, we have not. The internet um, will tell us. I can yes. just pull up the website. True. Oh, look at true. Um, but it would make for a super fun Ren show, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Like putting this in the Ren season mm-hmm. would be awesome. Shakespeare's histories. No Edward. Other Shakespeare. No, we've done Edward the second. I know that much. Yeah, but that's Marlo. I, I know, yeah. but I mean, I'm thinking like kings and histories. But yes, it's neither here nor there. Let's play a game. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck Mary Kill. It's our new favorite game. <laughs> it's our new favorite game. Yeah. So we're gonna start off with the kings. But oh, because yeah. there are four of them, that means you get to fuck two or marry two or kill two. Great. Yeah. Ooh. Uh-huh. Ooh. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So we've got King John of France, King Edward uh-huh. of England, King David uh-huh. of Scotland, and the unnamed King of Bohemia. Mm. Mm. Yes. All right. Oh, wow. Oh, such options. I know. Okay. Right? <gasps> okay. I think I would marry Edward. I'd fuck the French one, John. Jean and I'd kill the other two because they're useless. One's a coward and one doesn't mm-hmm. even have a fucking name. Mm-hmm. And he's out there in in mm-hmm. Germany. Like who the fuck cares? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that's what I would do also. Because um, you know that French guy's good in bed. Like, oh yeah, because you know he's French. He's French. Hi. <laughs> it's you can't be French unless you're good in the sack. Yeah. Like that's the law. Yeah. It's like a test you have to take to get your citizenship. Yeah. (laughs) To demonstrate sexual prowess. Yep. All right. Uh, So the sons, we have, we've Mm -hmm. got Edward the Black Prince. We have Prince (laughs) Philip in in France. And we have Charles, Duke of Normandy, also a prince of France. I don't know why he's a duke and then the younger son is the prince. It seems to me like that should be reversed, but. That's, that's strange. Mm, you go first. Okay, time. okay, okay. So I want to fuck Edward, the Black Prince. 
is what I want to do. I also want to marry him, um, but I can't do that. <laughs> nope, that's, that's not, not the, the game. game so I want to <laughs> fuck him. Um, and then I think I would. Oh, I think I would marry Philip and kill Charles because Charles kind of is a wet blanket and he's a mm. worry wart and he seems lame. He also seems responsible. <laughs> but like boring. So Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I think I'm gonna follow your instinct to fuck Edward, aka Ned. Yep. I mean, what well, one, he dies young, but you know he's like a vigorous warrior. Mm. So again, probably good in bed. One would hope. Mm-hmm. Um, then you never, but then again, you never know these jocks. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Steroids, tiny balls. I know, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. Philip or Normandy. Mm, I mean, you know, there is, uh, there's stability in, res- in responsible guys. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Normandy, maybe I would marry Normandy and kill mm-hmm. that Philip. Yeah. Kill Philip. Because Philip, Philip, Philip is the next in line, yeah? No, Philip is second no, he's in line. Not. Charles is oh, next Philip in line. Oh, Philip is second in line. Yeah. Oh, never mind then. Okay. Kill Charles. Kill that. No, wait. No. Do you want no, to marry the think. first in line or the second in line? So, so okay, I want to marry the second in line because Which he's got an easier life and with yes. like fewer demands. I mean, so look you, at Prince Harry. You want to marry Philip. Okay, then I want to marry Philip. <laughs> then I want to kill Charles. Kill the wet blanket. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's there we go. Okay. Yep. Okay. Uh so then we've got our our French people, not our French people, our English people. Mm. So let's go Warwick. Okay. Ooh, he's so old. Uh-huh. And Sir John Copeland. <laughs> A knight. And okay. uh Robert of our toys. Okay. Uh, kill Warwick. He's at death's door anyway. Sure. Am I right? Sure. Uh, I think I would fuck Artois because he French. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, marry the knight. Marry See, Copeland. So I, I agree. Kill uh, kill Warwick. Yawn. Yeah. Snooze. Don't need him. Um, yeah. But I yeah. want to fuck Sir John Copeland a knight. Because he's lusty and he mm. captured the King of Scots. Um, mm, okay. And then I would marry Robert of Artois because he had been made the Earl of Richmond. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yes. Well, I was turning more to the baser pleasures of the flesh <laughs> in this round. You always do. <laughs> I know. That's why I like Falstaff. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So then... Let's actually skip France because there aren't cool people there. Oh, okay. All right. So then we've got the. Count- also, we would fuck all of them. Yes, yes we would. Like, yeah, we would just have an orgy with the French uh-huh. if we were trying to do a fuck Mary kill. Right. Excellent. The French Moving mariner, on. like yes, French <laughs> mariner. He sails ships. He could sail my ship into port if you know what I mean. <laughs> yep. Dock into my. Yep. What do you call it? Where you put a ship? Slip. Sure, I'm. Can, I don't, I'm not can, a mariner. I'm gonna. I'm gonna run up. He his can beat mast. my poop gold. <laughs> can I, okay. He that can. Was real dumb. He can fly my starboard. Oh my god! Just stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, is, this is painful because right, you okay. don't know nautical okay. terms. <laughs> he can tie me into nautical knots. <laughs> stop. Um, so to round it out, we have uh, the Queen of England uh-huh. and the Countess of Salisbury, and no mm. other women. So let's put them with the French Mariner. Great, great. Okay. Hmm. I see. Okay. I think the Queen of England is a bit of a wet blanket, and I like that Countess of Salisbury. I think she's smart. Okay. I I think I could marry her. Okay. Uh, and then we could be smart together so, forever. Okay. And then I'd fuck that mariner and I'd kill that queen of England. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I I think that's what I would do too. I definitely want to fuck the mariner because. Yeah. I mean, I was getting really hot under the collar when right. you were trying really hard to make all those nautical terms sexy. So like we need to finish that. <laughs> put an oar in my waters. Oh my God. <laughs> 
he can row my boat. Mm, yes. <laughs> All right, that's it. Let's let's <laughs> gossip. Yes, please. Let's gossip a little bit. God, it's all me this week. Jesus, it is. Yeah, I noticed that. It's a lot you of have stuff. things to say, lady. Yeah. Okay. So number one is Shakespeare in sheets, not Shakespeare in the sheets, which is how see I've been reading yep, it wrong. Same. <laughs> and then when I googled it couldn't find it because it's not yeah so it's shakespeare in sheets we have a a link that we'll throw up on our website so what it is is dr tara lyons who is at um illinois state uh in association with the folger has created these pdfs of um early shakespeare quartos essentially so right now what's available is rnj love's labors henry five and lear um and what you can do is go to their website, download the PDF, and then in the classroom or on your own or with whatever, like a fun bachelorette party, if that's your jam, you can fold them and create your own quarto. So it's a, it's an exercise in how books were made. That's so it's cool. It's so cool. And I kind of want to do it with my students. Yeah. I want to do it with my students. Yeah. We have a whole workshop that yeah. this would be amazing for. That's what I thought of when I first saw this. They popped up on Twitter uh-huh. and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it launched it's just this very week. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So check that out. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, number two is news out of my program here at the University of Alabama, the Strode program. Um, we are launching a book series. which is really fucking cool in association with the university of Alabama press. Um, it's going to be called Strode studies in early modern literature and culture. Um, and the, the director of our program, Michelle Dowd is going to be the editor. So what it's going to do is quote, uh, publish innovative scholarship that examines the literatures and cultures of the early modern world. The series invites scholarly monographs and where appropriate collections of especially groundbreaking scholarly essays that shed new light on early modern texts and cultural products by putting them in dialogue with contemporary critical concerns. While focusing primarily on the English tradition, this series welcomes studies of other early modern European literatures and cultures with particular interest in Italy and Spain. Subjects of interest include, but are not limited to, eco-criticism, queer theory, post-colonialism, gender studies, affect studies, law and legal studies, critical race studies, food and material culture, history of medicine, science, and technology. Damn. Yeah. It's going to be really fucking cool. Uh, it's really exciting for our program. Um, that is literally all the information that I have about it. Submissions are being accepted. Um, I think straight to Michelle. Uh, I don't know if there's anything in the hopper. I don't know when the first thing is planned to be published, printed. Um, but it's it's fantastic it's really really fantastic for us and um, my hope is that Michelle will use this uh, as a teaching opportunity for us grad students and we can sort of get into the weeds a little bit on scholarly editing which is something that there's really no training for anywhere that I've ever heard of so that's awesome yeah it's really really cool really exciting so if you have a book project Joey Gamble (laughs) maybe you should submit (laughs) Uh, and also yeah. like other people who aren't Joey Gamble, but also Joey Gamble, submit your book. <laughs> All right. So it's Dick Bracket time, but there is no Dick Bracket to talk about this week because as you know, we are on a two week delay so that y'all can vote. Um, so we're still waiting to hear about the, the results between uh, Tamerlane and the brothers Malfi. Yep. Final matchup. Final yeah. countdown. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. Sorry, I had to do it again. This is the second record, and you did it twice. I know. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening, everyone. You'll never hear another podcast from us because Aubrey Whitlock is dead to me. <laughs> or we hope you leave this podcast more informed than when you started. Tune in next week for Merchant of Venice 201. Yeah, where we will definitely have things to say. Salient yeah. things to say. Mm. I mean, I know my topic, but I don't 
I mean, I, I generally know. know. I, 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 I think it. I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm going to say. I, I think I, I think I do. Right eye to a woman. What beauty else could triumph over me? Or who but women do our lovelays greet? What thinkst thou I did bid thee praise? A horse? <laughs> Whamlet out. Whamlet out. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play. For show notes and other fun things, visit our website at www.hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can drop us a line at holla at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. Or follow us on Instagram at hurlyburlyshakes. Or on Twitter at hurlyburlyshake. The Hurly Burly Shakespeare Show was produced and edited by Jess Hamlet and Aubrey Whitlock. Our fantastic theme music was composed by Jonathan Shu. You can learn more about him at jonathanshu.com or find his albums on six, iTunes. Six all opinions you heard on this podcast are strictly our own and not at all affiliated with our institutions of work and or study. been six months since I've been on the road, got out of jail six months ago. I feel like I'm knocking on Satan's door, cause to tell the truth I can't take it no more. He is. He's one of history's mysteries because, like, yeah. he's the Black Prince. Yeah. I don't know why I find that so mysterious, but I do. <laughs> also a little sexy, just saying. Oh, yeah, he's for sure sexy.